Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, July 25th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. A little bit warm, but very good. Yeah. Yeah. I got to give a shout out. It's my dad's birthday today, Monday, the 25th of July. So I'm going to just give him a shout out. I don't even know if he listens. He probably doesn't. But um, <laughs> anyway, just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to mention that. The other thing though, Alex, that I'm super excited about is that we have launched Clear Admit Plus. And I know we were like hinting at this the last couple of weeks on the podcast, but it is now out there on the website. And I'm going to try to explain this in just like, you know, a, a really quick summary, but basically for $9.99 a month, you can get access to a suite of exclusive content that we have put together. It includes hours of videos that you and I recorded, Alex, um, yeah. covering basically every admission subject. Uh, I feel like some people might pay 10 bucks a month just to see what we look like, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, you also get access to the ClearMit data dashboard. I don't know if people know this, but, you know, we have so much data on the website because we've been running LiveWire for, gosh, is it 10 years? I mean, I should have gone and, and looked this up, but we have, yeah. I think, 60,000 data points um, that have been entered in. And so you get access to that data in a way that allows you to manipulate it and, and, and kind of benchmark yourself and see what, what admissions <laughs> outcomes uh, happen if you have a certain test score or GPA. Um, so that's a lot of fun to play with. Um, we're also going to do monthly private webinars. Uh, you and I are going to do those every Monday, uh, first Monday of every month. Um, so if you're a Clear Admit Plus member, you get to join in on those and ask us your questions. We'll kind of be there with you throughout the entire admissions season. And then if you subscribe to the Clear Admit Plus on the annual basis, which is uh, it's $59.99 for a year, uh, you also get access to all of our publications. So we publish interview guides, strategy guides about you know how to coach your recommenders, how to get in off a wait list, how to reapply. We've got all, all kinds of um, publications in our library. Those come for free if you are a Clear Admit Plus user. So I'm pumped about this, Alex. I'm going to just encourage everyone listening to just sign up. We never sell anything on this show, but I, we put in a lot of time to this, Alex, and I'm, I'm excited. I want people to go to bit.ly forward slash Clear Admit Plus all lowercase, all spelled out. So not, you know, the plus is P-L-U-S. Um, so please go and, and yeah, get get on board with Clear Admit Plus. It's going to be a lot of fun and, and it'll give you a lot of tools to excel this year. And it, what do you want to add to that, Alex? <laughs> yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I'm really excited. I mean, it, it's targeted to, to, you know, our most loyal sort of um, community members, as it were, and I figured mm -hmm. they're the same folks that listen to to, to wiretap. So hopefully, it sort of resonates. Um, I'm really excited. Like you say, we we put a lot of um, work into these this video series, as an example, which we've labelled the Admissions Academy, and that's the trip that we did in London, um, maybe three or four months ago to record that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm really excited. I really excited to see the feedback from it and what we can learn from it and how we can potentially improve the, the, the offering. But yeah, it's out the gate. So let's see how it goes. But just having said that, it won't diminish our efforts on, you know, live wire, decision wire and apply wire, which will always stay wide open. Oh, yeah. As well as this podcast and everything. So we're not reducing anything that we're doing. We just created this additional sort of um, content. So yeah, it's exciting, Graham. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if a lot of people sign up for ClearMit Plus, then maybe we can get new microphones or something. Yeah. You know? But <laughs> other than that, you know, it's... <laughs> um, so let's see, other than that, are we... I mean, I guess 
I've been talking to a lot of schools. We've been having these essay workshops, and so we're full on. I mean, every school's announced their essay topics pretty much. And but what is, is there anything that's been going on that you want to call our attention to in the MBA admissions world? The Wharton's still making rumbles about their wait list, so or at least up, up until last week. And what happens then is if Wharton does make moves, um, other schools that sit in the tier below will make moves. So it's not over until it's completely over. And we've said that over the last several weeks, but there is still a little bit of movement Yeah, I was um, surprised. On, on the wait list. Fantastic. Yeah, still happening. Um, all right. So, Alex, let's get into it. You have questions that you were going to ask me because I asked, I've been asking you these fun questions over the last last couple of weeks. And so now you're, we're going to turn the tables. You got some questions for me, apparently. Very good. Very good. Graham, what is your <laughs> biggest regret? Uh, I would say I thought about this for a while. And I, I think it's that I never pursued music in a full-time kind of way. You know, I went on a couple of short tours with the band and, but it was always like in parallel to my studies or to work. And so I, I never, I think when I was like 20 something, I probably should have just gotten in a van and spent a few months out on the road, like giving it a full go because I, yeah, I kind of regret that. I think if I, if I look back, so there's, there's that. <laughs> I will say I am a fan of Panama. So, um, if you had pursued it full time for a little while, we might never have seen you back <laughs> <It's> again. <true. laughs> um, yeah. but yeah. No, if anyone does get a chance, you can't find it on Spotify. I'm not sure why Graham hasn't fixed that problem yet, but Panama is absolutely fantastic. There is a band camp. You can go online at Bandcamp and it's just Panama the band if people really want to listen. Um, but yeah, Excellent. I got to figure out the Spotify thing. <laughs> yeah, get, get into the 21st century, Graham. Very good. One thing you would like to change about how you were raised... I, this is tough because I don't really have any complaints. I mean, I feel like my parents did so many amazing things for me uh, as I grew up and stuff. But I would say I would have liked to have had a bit more junk food because we lived in like a house where, you know, that you, you would never see like a can of Pringles or any. And so what happened is when I got older, I am like, like was really drawn to all that sort of taboo kind of food. And so I still have like kind of like a hankering for bad food even though we now live in this era where everything's organic and great i'm like drawn to things like twinkies because they were never on offer to me as a child so i maybe a little bit of junk food so that i would have been like oh this isn't so great after all you know <laughs> living living in paris which has got to be one of the cuisine capitals <laughs> of the world being drawn to twinkies is wrong I know. Well, they don't have them here, so I'm, I'm safe. <laughs> Very good. Superpower you wish you had. Yeah, this is tough. I mean, I I thought about this one, too, and I, I came up with, um, I would like to have, like, super healing power. So, like, if someone were to, like, injure me, I would be healthy right away, but also to be able to, like, transmit that power. So, like, if I, you know, have a friend who has cancer, I could, you know, put my hand on them and heal them. So this kind of like invincibility or healing would be a really cool superpower, I think. Sounds like you want to become Jesus, Greg. <laughs> I don't know about yeah, that. I'm not sure I got to grow the that. hair. <laughs> <laughs> what school, if any, rejected you? So you know this, Alex. I mean, when I applied to business school, all of them rejected me, except for one, which was my safety school. And I, I didn't actually want to go there. I made like mistake number one. We always tell people don't apply somewhere. You wouldn't be perfectly happy to attend. And that was the only school that accepted me. And I was miserable. Uh, you know, Harvard, uh, Wharton, Dartmouth, I mean, all, all the top schools up and down the East coast rejected me the first time I applied. And so I think that's probably why I do what I do now, because as I went through the reapplication process and kind of did things to better my profile, I learned a ton. And I was sort of like, wow, 
I wish someone had been around <laughs> to tell me this when I started so that I didn't lose that year, even though it was a year of great, like, you know, growth and, and just, you know, taking the steps I needed to get into business school were, were beneficial to me. But I, I think that's why I do what I do now, just because everyone rejected me <laughs> the first time out. And uh, what the good news is they all accepted me the second time around. So that was cool. But it was, yeah, it was a long slog, you know, to get there. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you, you didn't get any rejections the second time, huh? No, everyone accepted me. Um, and I take it you didn't apply to Stanford? No, I, I didn't because um, my partner was not, we weren't going to go West Coast. So it had to yeah. be kind of Northeast Corridor. So, yeah, so we both got into Harvard and... Um, well, for her, it was JFK. Uh, and then Princeton and Wharton were a pair. She was doing public policy. So yeah, so it was f finding schools where there was kind of a matching policy school that we could both apply to. But but yeah, nice. was, uh, so that would be uh, the story there on the rejections. <laughs> very good. Very good. That's all the questions I have. All right. Excellent. So let's move on. We've got a whole bunch of stuff that we ran on the site. I'm sure people have seen, but we did an admissions director Q&A with Chad Losey, who's the uh, director over at Harvard Business School. And I'll let people go and read it. Lauren conducted that interview with him and has posted it on the site. But I did want to share one thing um, that he noted in his interview. He said, this year we added a 900-word limit to our essay. We've heard from some applicants that without a word limit, sometimes questions and stress arise about the right word length. We hope that including a limit provides applicants with a little more direction and eliminates the stress about how much is too much to write. You don't need to submit 900 words, however. Successful applicants may share what they wish to in, you know, in like 500 or 700 words, for example, or go up to 900. So that's his, that, that's what he has to say. I was actually happy to hear that because I, I too was often feeling that stress around like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. No word limit. <laughs> I, I, I do think that's wishful thinking on Chad's part though. If you've put a 900 word limit on it, <laughs> people are going to go within 10%, 5% of that 900 word limit. You're probably right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I am right, Graham. <laughs> that's just the way the world works. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we also ran admissions director Q&As with um, Stephen G, who's uh, over at SEABS in China, and then Rebecca Lewin, who is the director of admissions at University of Rochester Simon School of Business. So head over to the site, read that stuff. Uh, <laughs> we continue to roll out those real numbers pieces, and this week's theme was class sizes. It sounds like sort of mundane, but I, I love looking at this stuff and, and reminding myself of like how different the size of some of these programs are. You know, Stanford, they're 426 students in their um, incoming class. Harvard's like over a thousand. Okay. So pretty big um, kind of pendulum swinging. I wanted to ask you, do you have any idea What's the size of the incoming class at LBS and INSEAD? Well, I was going to ask you another question first. So, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll answer that question in as much as I'm not sure. I know INSEAD, they have two intakes. Yeah. And collectively, it becomes a very large number. That's correct. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So they have two intakes and it rivals HBS as being the largest business yeah. school in the world. So it's about 500 in each intake. Yeah. 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 So LBS, I would say six or 700, but I don't know. I think it's just north of 500, but they, okay, yeah, so, so they're, bad. yeah, so they're in that, in that ballpark too. But, and those two schools like dwarf most of the other, uh, European right. business schools. Yeah. So hold that thought. Okay. Toss out Stanford in the U S what most correlates with class size. Ranking, I think yes. to an extent. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's, if, yeah. you, if you look at all the M seven, except for Stanford, 
they have a class size of what 500 600 7 8 or 900 something like that and then when you move out of the m7 to the top 16 it drops to maybe two three or four hundred and when you move out of the top 16 again it drops again um, so it doesn't surprise me that that same effect is present in Europe. So we know that LBS and INSEAD are typically considered the top two um, in, in Europe and programs just behind them will have smaller class sizes. Yeah, and I think um, the only other thing I was going to say is I feel like MIT is a bit smaller, um, but they're still, you know, it, it's not tiny by any stretch, but they are one that's a little bit smaller too. But you're right. It's strange how, you know, Columbia and Wharton each have 800 plus. Yeah. Uh, and I think some of that's because of Columbia's J term, but it's, yeah, it's really, um, I mean, this, you go down. Yeah, this it's really this becomes a real problem for those in the sort of top 30, 40 and 50. When the app mm -hmm. pool volumes drop, their class sizes shrink a little bit and they're all, they're shrinking off a low number. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's why it's, some of these programs, it's hard to sustain a viable full-time yeah. program. Um, so yeah, just just to clarify, so MIT is 450, so it's not it's still pretty big. I mean, Kellogg yeah, Kellogg's yeah. a little bit more than 500. I think Booth is in yeah. that general ballpark as well. But it, but it, what's interesting too is when you go down, um, if you look at like an Emory, 150 to 180 students, mm. Indiana Kelly, which is a great MBA program, 157. So I think they're smart. I mean, they're kind of keeping the size to a point where they can find really talented candidates and bring them in. Right. So they're keeping the size at a level that they need to keep it for the quality. If they want to yeah. retain quality. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And those numbers, they're outside the top 16. They're in that next tier. If you look at that top 16, so you, the Dukes and the Dardens and whatever, their numbers will be a little bit higher, whether it's another 50 or 100 right. um, in their class size. Yeah, that's correct. And again, it steps up again to the M7. Because I did a lot, well, not a lot of research. It takes about half an hour to come up with this data. But as I was looking at when we developed the tiering system, that was one of the data points that really stood out to me. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and, you know, places like Duke, it's like 440, Dartmouth is yeah. 294, Cornell 304. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it yeah. definitely fits. Yeah. So, um Moving right along, the other thing, speaking of Cornell, actually, I had a chance to sit down with Eddie Aspie, who's the director of admissions and financial aid over at Cornell, uh, and we did an interview, and that's going to air any day now, so stay tuned for that. He did unveil, I, I was unaware of this, I think it's brand new, um, that they have a new program there that's called Cornell One Plus One, where you do a year in Ithaca, do your core uh, MBA coursework and, and spend time, you know, living as a kind of first year MBA student there. And then for the second year, you move to New York and you, you do a year on the Cornell Tech MBA campus, which is in New York City. And so that's a really interesting kind of one, two punch of the, you know, them kind of combining the best of both worlds. You have this kind of rural, uh, close knit sort of first year experience, and then you move into kind of the big city and, and get proximity and, and experiential learning opportunities with all the tech companies they work with. So very interesting. There'll be more news on that forthcoming, I suspect, but we did talk about it at length in the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I, I don't know how much you've, like, if you've followed the development of that Cornell Tech MBA, which is just a one-year program usually, um, and that'll still exist, but this is kind of a, a combination, Alex. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, obviously, Cornell, we know, is very, um, not very well known for, but, it, you know, their strength is that feeder into investment banking, and, and I know that they've had that tech program. So, yeah, it's, it's good to see they're still continuing to innovate around that sort of tech angle. Yeah, very um, interesting. And now with their, their regular program. So, 
Fair play to them. Yeah. Very good. Uh, last bit of housekeeping before we get into our candidates for this week. We've got another essay workshop coming up on Wednesday of this week at noon Eastern. And this week, I'll be sitting down with admissions folks from Columbia, NYU, Stanford, Wharton, and MIT Sloan. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We have a ton of people signed up for this, but please sign up if you haven't yet. You can just go to bit.ly forward slash C-A-M-B-A essays, all one word, all lowercase. So join us. I've had a blast. Last week, I got to sit down with Duke and UT Austin and Carnegie Mellon and LBS and INSEAD, and it was a lot of fun. So we're, we're, I'm really enjoying these, these uh, webinars that we run in the summer here. Aside from having fun, Graham, what are you learning? I'm learning, I mean, so I'm getting to know these admissions directors and, and how they think and how they look at files. I mean, we always ask them some fun questions about like, well, when you sit down with a file, what do you look at first? And when do you look at the essays? And the other thing that's been just fun is a lot of them seem willing to kind of reveal elements of their application that are, you know, haven't yet been announced. So it's kind of fun to get, like, we got a scoop on Carnegie Mellon's essays, like they hadn't announced them yet. And they unveiled them at our, <laughs> at our session, uh, which was very cool. Um, but other than that, I mean, just, I mean, gosh, these folks, I don't know why, but we always seem to get great admissions representatives, often the directors from these programs. And they, you know, they have a lot of experience and they share a lot of really great advice. Um, David Simpson <laughs> gave some good advice from LBS about answering the question and, and even like how to approach their optional essay and, um, yeah, just, I, I don't know, I just kind of always leave these sessions feeling like, wow, if I were applying, I, I wish someone had told me all this stuff when I was applying. Yeah. Because uh, they, yeah, it's really good. No, very good. Very good. Um, so if people want to reach out to us, they can write, as always, at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. We'll get, get word back to you. Um, Alex, let's move on, though. I guess you picked out a few candidates, and they're really interesting, as always. And so if you don't have anything else, I'm happy to dive into our candidates for the week. Let's kick on. All right, so this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So this is an apply wire entry that you've selected, Alex, and it comes from a candidate who wants to start in the fall of 23. They have uh, Cornell, MIT, Stanford, UCLA, USC Marshall, and UT Austin on their target list. They've been working in entertainment, uh, and they'd love to get into tech or maybe even the kind of auto aerospace um, end of things. They list Apple, Google, Tesla. Um, they seem pretty open, though, to you know a number of potential roles. GMAT score is a 710. Their GPA is a 71% out of 100 uh, in the market that they're in, which is Belgium. Uh, the grading system is a little bit different. They have three years of work experience, and they would love to land in the States once they graduate. They gave us a lot of detail about their background, and, and we'll get into that, but I did want to read a short quote that they left, which was just, Hi, Alex and Graham and fellow readers, or in this case, listeners. <laughs> I've been loving the podcast over the past month, and with the new admission season kicking off, I'm very excited to finally share my profile. So that was nice to just <laughs> hear that they've been tuning in and are now kind of gearing up, but I'll let you kind of walk us through some of the other details, because there are a number of them, but when it comes, when push comes to shove, they're, they're trying to figure out where's the right kind of school. You know, they, they know that UT Austin and UCLA are really of interest to them, um, but they're also not sure how that GMAT score might play with those schools as well as maybe, you know, schools above, um, above those schools and the rankings and stuff. So let's break this candidacy down. I love this candidacy. So they say, I, I should say, I, um, they, they're, um, 
they, they launched, um, I'm just trying to find it right now, sorry, um, <laughs> a managing role to launch a subscription-based loyalty program for all eight venues of wherever they're working. I'm thinking, well, we needed this person to help us roll out Clear Clear, clear Plus because that's basically <laughs> what, what we're trying to um, emulate. Um, but, yeah, quite honestly, I think there's a lot of things to like about this profile. I mean, let's just be really frank um, as we start off, European candidates are underrepresented in North American um, schools, top tier programs. So, so that's going to play in their favour. Um, so, so, but you know, you you don't get access to a top tier MBA program just because you're from Europe. You've got to show a lot of qualities, um, right? To on top of that, um, but I do think there is a lot of quality here. It looks like their work experience is, is very interesting. Um, they've done some different things, they've really got to show growth and and that sort of impact. Those are the two things we always hark on in terms of um, how, how do you qualify your work experience. So, so they've got to be able to do that. Um, but, but I do like, um, from, from what we've read, what they've done in live entertainment. And like I say, building the subscription service is probably a, a, a pretty good um, experience. Their academic experience might not absolutely jump off the page, um, but they've got it. They've, you know, their GPA is not great, but they were, they're ranked in the top top thirty um, percent. I think they've done a master's um, um, degree um, on on top of that. Their GMAT at seven ten again is not leaping off the page, um, but you know, European candidate, it's probably a it is still a pretty decent um, GMAT score. Um, yeah, and you know, um, I want to just add that GMAT score. They have a seventy fourth percentile on the quantitative, which is not bad. I mean, we see yeah. that that quant percentile is really tough these days. And they have an eighty ninth percentile on verbal, and they're a non native, you know, English speaker. So it's a really balanced score. Um, just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes me wonder why seven ten seems a bit low for those two percentages, but. Um, <laughs> Um, but anyway, so so I think quite honestly, Graham, there's a lot to like, and you know they've also got this wacky sort of interest in aviation. Um, they're a pilot. Um, they've also created some kind of ed tech aviation startup, whatever that means. Um, whether it's an ed tech platform to train pilots, but I think you've got to actually get in a plane to to do that. But anyway, the point being, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff about this candidate. Yeah. So if they tie everything together, I I would really, you know, have them look at, you know, the, the M7 type program should be their sweet spot. I ask them in terms of their target programs, which are they really sort of um, hankering for, or which did they think were the were, were the, the the ones that stood out for them? And they said USC and and Macombs, and and the reason why they highlighted that was they were a bit worried that their seven ten GMAT score would 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 make those programs probably more viable. But I think Sloan is 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 a school that they should be really um, aiming at, um, which is one that they've listed. Yeah, um, I think they'd be they'd be very. Um, you know, appropriate for, for a program like Sloan. It is a shame that, that it is a bit of a 710, but 
I think schools are going to really like this profile, Graham. Yeah, and actually, so just to clarify, um, their work experience currently is in, you know, we said entertainment, and they actually gave a good analogy, I think, for at least those listening in the States. They talked about, they work for a company as like a global live entertainment corporation, think Live Nation or AEG, those, those kinds of places. So that in of itself is kind of interesting, right? I mean, you always talk about... Uh, when people write about work that the average admissions reader can relate to, obviously bringing, you know, whatever it is, the Rolling Stones or, um, you know, uh, Dua Lipa to play in Belgium or wherever they're, whatever markets they're working in, um, that, that's, you know, kind of people, people understand that, you know, everyone goes to concerts, understands mm. the mechanics of, of that stuff. So it's just kind of interesting and exciting potentially. And I agree. Um, they mentioned, by the way, they said UCLA and UT Austin were their two um, kind of targets, but that was because they were, they're kind of nervous about their numbers. So I, I agree with you though. If I them, I would apply in the first round to some of these, you know, the MITs, the Stanford's on their list and, and, you know, and maybe also UCLA and UT Austin, um, since they're interested in those two as well, but see where the chips fall. I think that, yeah, they might be overly worried about the test and the GPA. And I did want to just mention one thing in brief about the GPA. And that's that, you know, in France, which I believe has a similar system, when you go to school, if you get a 16 out of 20 on a test or an assignment, that's like quite good. Um, and so, whereas in America, <laughs> you know, you get a 22 out of 20 and it says extra credit because you did such a great job, yeah. you know? Um, so there's just like a different mentality around grading. And I actually think it ends up ultimately translating to maybe a different mentality <laughs> about a lot of things, but it's something that I think admissions officers are very aware of. So if you see someone with a 71 out of 100 in their undergrad, you might say, oh, that's not so great. But then, you know, wow, they were in the top 30% of their class. It was a challenging undergraduate experience. I think it was something um, technical, right? It was like business engineering and management information systems, right? So in any event, um, they also did, they did, a, uh, I guess, they did a master's, right? They have both a master's and an undergrad. And the master's, they had an 83 out of 100, and they were in the top 10%. So I don't think this person's a bad student at all. Um, and so I, I, I would feel comfortable if I was an admissions officer putting the academic stuff aside and focusing on the work experience and, as you said, the growth and impact. And if they can weave it all together and tell me a good story about what they want to do next, I think they're M7. I agree with you. What about retaking the GMAT, Graham? I mean, I guess they could. I, I guess it would depend on how they feel about it. You know, if they feel like they've topped out and maybe they've only taken it once. Um, I know they already they do have to retake the TOEFL because it's expired and they're a non-native English speaker. So they got to take that test. I believe their undergraduate was not, you know, the, the language of instruction was not English. So they would have to take that. So I don't, I don't know how many balls they're juggling, yeah. um, but it's not, I don't think it's vital. I mean, it couldn't hurt if they got a better score, but I don't think it's vital. This, this is what I, I was thinking, though, is what, what if, you know, they lined up some schools for round one. That's fine. They don't need to be in round one, right? Because, no. again, they're a European candidate. They can apply in round two. They will be just as competitive. Schools will want to admit a candidate like this with the type of experience they have, the fact that they're a pilot outside of work and do some other stuff. Schools will want to find ways to admit this person now. Um, so, so round two is going to be just as good as round one. Um, so the thought might be, all right, I'm going to get some, pro, get some applications um, completed in round one, see how the chips fall. 
But as I get closer to round two, I'm going to retake the G-man. And if, if, if they could push their score up just 20 points, right, 730, something like that, mm-hmm. um, to me, they're absolute solid M7. Yeah, I, I hear um, you. you know. my, my, so, yeah, I guess my motive for saying applying round one was more one of um, taking a shot at some top programs. And if they get in, then they don't need to look at the next rung down or something and so it buys them time yeah, yeah. but i yeah. yeah but obviously if they could take the test again get a better score it may open up more scholarship dollars it may you know maybe may do a lot of things um so yeah so it couldn't hurt but i do like this candidate and i think that they're i guess on the margin i would say they they probably have undersold their or they're, they're underestimating their ability to get into top schools yeah. so I, I encourage them to go for it i'm going to throw one more thing out that out there i know we said that we're going to try to keep these a bit shorter today because we had a long intro but um this person's only going to be 25 at the point of matriculation Mm -hmm. now if they're in a good job and doing well uh, what about the idea that they only apply to the m7 the very best and if they're not successful they wait out a year continue to grow and, and 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 whatever get that additional um test score sort of bump come back the following year and yeah have had yeah hopefully um come back even stronger better chance for m7 yeah i mean i, I guess that would be up to them in terms of their work situation yeah. and they only they know the answer to how easy that would be to pull off but yeah if they're in a type of job where they could stay and there's still growth potential then sure i mean one yeah. thing i learned yesterday in the session we did with the schools was someone was kind of poo-pooing the idea of switching jobs just before application so like if they you know, if they were to apply and then, you know, didn't get in and, and they couldn't stay at their current employer another year and had to switch and then, you know, only have a few months of work experience in that new role before <laughs> reapplying, that may not be a good thing. So, you know, it yeah. depends. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the last thing is, obviously, I did want to make sure they know, you know, that we, my band is available to come and play giant concerts <laughs> yes. um, if, they, <laughs> if they ever need an opening act, you know, we could, we could hit them up for that maybe. But in any event, I want to what's th- the large <laughs> what, What's the largest? crowd that you've had Graham um uh do I count family members in the audience or <laughs> no no uh I mean maybe like a few hundred people would be the top right so nice. <laughs> so nice. not you know sort of so small pubs. yeah yeah small yeah small venues yeah absolutely <laughs> very good. um very good. all right let's move on I want to thank that person for posting and for listening to the podcast uh regularly uh so let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two so this is another apply wire entry that you picked, and this candidate is also targeting fall of 23. They've got Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, and Chicago on the target list. They're an electrical engineer working at an energy super major, and they'd love to pivot out of that and into consulting after business school, and they have Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey on the list. Their GMAT score is a 730, and their GPA is a 3.41. They've been working for four years. They're actually working in New Orleans, Louisiana, and they're originally from Texas. Uh, they would love to land in Texas or California after business school. And I guess they mentioned that you know currently they're uh, you know again with an energy company working as an electrical engineer supporting assets in offshore Gulf of Mexico. They went to a public Ivy where they and they said it's top ten engineering school. 
and that's where they graduated with that 3.41. They mentioned that they know that's a little bit low um, in terms of their target schools. They did indicate that they worked multiple jobs throughout undergrad and that their GPA progressively improved each year. Uh, they, you know, weren't happy with the GMAT result of 730. They did well on the verbal, 96th percentile, but the quant was a bit lower, 60th percentile. So they're kind of wondering about that. Uh, they're targeting M7 schools because they really want to go work at McKinsey Bain or BCG, and they know that's a great pathway to that. They're big-time volunteer. They've worked with Habitat for Humanity extensively and they think they can do a good job in their application materials. But Alex, I know we both went back and forth with this candidate on the website where we were commenting on their profile and, and wondering about this kind of M7 or bust strategy. So what, what's, yeah, what do you make of this candidacy and in particular that idea that they're focusing on some pretty high mark schools with you know, what you could argue are kind of more average numbers, at least. Yeah. I mean, the GMAT's good. 730 is excellent. It's kind of near the average or at the average for top schools, but the GPA is a bit lower, um, and they're not and they're not jumping off the page in terms of some, like, really different background, but at the same time, they're, they sort of tick a lot of the boxes. So, yeah, what do you make of this? They didn't do our history, Graham. <laughs> no, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, electrical engineering, nothing, those of you that, listening that did art history, I, I <laughs> throw that out there because that's Graham's degree, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I also did but, an MBA after that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah no, absolutely. But, but the point is that this is electrical engineering. So, so yeah. you know, that's going to have a level of rigor that AgComs obviously will respect. Agreed. Um, so, so um, I'm not too stressed about the slightly lower um, GPA. I'm going to ask you, though, because you brought this up before a couple of times. So now we've got a case study example of this. Um, what do you think of someone that is an electrical engineer that's doing all this, you know, wonderful stuff um, in, in the energy space, getting a 60th percentile quant score. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, it's a little lower than you would expect. Although, I, I mean, I, I know that um, there are a lot of people who kind of blow the curve on the, <laughs> on the, you know, uh, uh, on these exams, right? So the, the quant, it's really hard to get a very high quantitative percentile these days. So I, I don't know. I mean, but our Belgian guy got a higher quant score. I know it is interesting. Right? I think just people and, and yeah. only came in with a seven ten G G mat. So it's a yeah. very interesting sort of. Well, um, actually, two different G mat scores, and yeah, yeah, very interesting. And, and actually, one thing I will point out is that if you're looking for points, acing the verbal is actually a really fast pathway to high points because too many people ace the quant, so it's like less yeah. highly regarded in some respects. But yeah, it is. I mean, it did strike me, but. I don't know. I mean, this person, you can read what they wrote on the site. They're, they're a good writer. They're expressing themselves well. They studied electrical yeah. engineering. I actually find the work they're doing kind of interesting. You know, it's kind of supporting yeah. offshore stuff. And, and they want to, you know, they seem to have a good head on their shoulders about a career pivot. Um, yeah, I, you know, and I did want to mention, they, they left us a comment. They said, thanks for the feedback, Alex and Graham. I'm a big fan of the podcast and have been a regular listener for a couple of years now. I love that you guys make this process approachable for people of all different backgrounds. So, you know, I want to thank them for that. But I, I was like, you know, curious, are they, have they ever listened to the podcast out on one of these platforms out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico or something? That would be a new thing yeah. for us. But I, you know, it's funny because I pushed back on them in my comments and I said, gee, you've got M7 schools and your numbers don't jump off the page. And they said, you know, 
I think they said it to you, Alex, right? That they're thinking they're going to apply M7, and if it doesn't work out, they'll come back next year, right? Isn't that what they said? Yeah, and yeah, no, I think that's exactly the right strategy. And it's kind of like, you know, should should our first, uh, the, the first person we profiled had, uh, think somewhat similarly. But if, if, if they know that if they spend another year doing what they're doing, they can continue to improve their profile, then yes, only apply to your REACH schools this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's definitely... Um, enough evidence, I think, in in this in this profile to suggest that M seven is is reachable. Um, so I would encourage them to to do exactly what they're planning to do, um, and and that is um, only target the you know the best you know the the M seven the schools that they have listed. Yeah. Um, maybe throw Wharton into the mix. I'm not sure why Wharton's not included. Um, and. Um, and then, you know, regroup if, if they're not successful. But the, the, this all predicates on the idea that they know there's further growth in their professional and personal experience over the following year. If they don't see that further growth, then they need to um, come up with some, you know, a, a, a bit more of a spread of target schools this season. Yeah, agreed. And the last thing I want to say about this one is they did, what was cool is that in the comments, they elaborated a lot on their strategy and also even on their extracurriculars. You know, they talk about how they're really involved with Habitat for Humanity. They also do STEM mentoring initiatives and yeah. they've got a bunch of hobbies, photography, hiking, beach volleyball. So they're, they're a well-rounded individual and I love to see that. They did ask us whether they should retake the GMAT. They said they took the test once, you know, would it move the the needle much if they took it again? And I would say, gosh, you know, we're now getting a little bit down to the wire in terms of getting, you know, applications in in the first round and also juggling a test. But it is true if they crammed hard and could boost that quant performance, which frankly, it's easier to learn the quant section and get better at it than it is the verbal section in my experience. So if they felt like they could move the meter, they could suddenly find themselves with like a 750 or a 760, which would jump off the page and and maybe change things somewhat dramatically. But I don't know. I mean, part of me is sort of like go with it this year and it could be part of their reapplication strategy. But I don't know how you feel about that, Alex. I would I would go go with what you just said. Yeah. Okay. I want to go, also... go with what you have this year. And yeah. if they're willing to wait that additional year, that's when you, all yeah. right, let's go all in, get that GMAT up. Let's show continued growth and mm-hmm. yeah, come back again, because then they'll, they'll absolutely have a stronger profile the following year. But there yeah. might, again, there might well be enough here to get into one of these really top schools. So agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another shout one, one last shout out for them. They have a good handle, Texas two step. So I, I like the creativity. Not everyone like creates, um, fun handles on our, our website. So I'll give them props for that. Uh, I want to thank them for sharing and, and let's get into our um, last profile. Alex. So this is <laughs> wiretaps candidate number three. So this is a candidate that you picked from ApplyWire, again, targeting next fall. They only have four schools on their target list, and those schools are Harvard, MIT, Oxford, and Stanford. They've been working in both consulting and government prior to business school, and they would like to get into consulting or tech afterwards. And so they've got, as a result, companies like you know, uh, BCG, Bain, McKinsey, but also Microsoft, Tesla, and Twitter. Um, I thought Tesla and Twitter were the same thing, right? Maybe not, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, and then the GMAT score that they have is a 700. GPA is a 3.0. They've been working for five years, and they attended a top 20 U.S. public school for undergrad, where they got that 3.0. 
They then did a top 10 public uh, university uh, for a master's in international affairs where they earned a 3.3 GPA. And they went on to work as a big four consultant, mostly on policy strategy and international affairs matters. They did that for about three years. And then more recently, they've shifted to work as a policy advisor slash staffer for a well-known Republican U.S. senator. And they say they help with policy advisement and legislative aid, organization of events, um, and so on. And they, they just mentioned they want to switch back into the business world, and they thought that MBB would be a good kind of place to land to help them figure that all out. They're not exactly sure what they want to do after that, but they would, you know, feel like they'll figure that out in business school or while working at MBB. They mentioned they can get a letter of recommendation from the senator that they serve under. Uh, and so that that's the main thing. They said they're really aiming for Stanford and Harvard, but they would consider MIT or Oxford. So Alex, I think both you and I chimed in on this candidate who also has a great username, which is politics2biz. Um, but yeah, so t- what do you think of this candidacy? Because it's a, they've only got four schools on the target list, and they come from a somewhat non-traditional background working in politics. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's some re- really strong features to this um, profile and, you know, being policy advisor to a, to, to a, a, a recognized um, U.S. senator um, would, would, be, would be one of them. Um, I, I want to throw out a couple of things, though. I mean, if, it, if they're going from politics to business, there are other routes to do that other than MBB, i.e. I, there, there are obviously other consulting firms. And there are other schools to do that switch to MBB other than the four schools selected here. And I'm just a little bit um, um, cautious being the wrong word, but you get what I'm saying, in terms of their selection of schools. Mm-hmm. Um, given, you know, their, their undergraduate degree is, um, you know, 3.0 um, is going to be at, at the, the lower end of the spectrum. Um, even their master's degree at 3.3 um, would, would, do, would do the same. Um, the 700 GMAT is, again, it's, it's a very decent score, um, but is not standing out. Um, so so their, their numbers profile won't stand out. They'll be behind, you know, significantly lower than the median for these schools, maybe with the possible exception of Oxford side, um, but certainly Stanford, Harvard and, and Sloan. Um, so that's going to be troubling. Um, you know, they, they've gone from consulting um, to to then working um, directly in politics. So so they've done some big four um, um work um so 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 so, so that's good um but yeah i'm just a little bit worried overall about the numbers and how they're limiting their choice their pushback is you know the opportunity cost um for going getting the mba the the only way they could do that and and make sense of it is if they get this mbb pathway and so on and so forth Um, but again i think there one there, there are other options that they can pursue to, to make this transition. And secondly, I think they're going to need to do some additional stuff to enable their transition. Even if they targeted, let's say, the, the top 16 programs, I think doing HBS Core MBA Math, for example, uh, would be a really smart thing to do. Retaking the GMAT, if they think that the, they, they can squeeze any more points out of the GMAT, they're really going to need to do that, Graham. So those, those, that's my little bit of pushback. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, 
I mean, they mentioned they're not the best test taker. And I, you know, I know we talked a lot about clear admit plus and I, I, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I actually went and plugged in these numbers into the live wire data dashboard that comes with clear admit plus just to see like what happens when you have a 700 and a 30, um, what, you know, what percentage of people who over the last many years have posted to live wire, which is, you know, we have like 60,000 records in the database. Um, what happens if you have those kind of numbers? And I was just looking at Harvard and Stanford in particular, because those are the two schools that this person said they were focused on. And it turns out that people with a 3.0 or lower were showing a 1% um, acceptance, chances of acceptance, right? So only 1% of the people with those kind of numbers were, were saying that they had been accepted to Stanford. With Harvard, it was 3%. Um, on the GMAT side, it's a little bit better. You know, so someone with a 700, it was 14% at HBS, and uh, over at Stanford, it was 15%. Again, this is the the tandem, right? So I connected these two numbers. So it's having a 700 and a 3.0, like what what are the odds and things? So right. it's not good, and that that's what made me concerned. And I also agree with you that, I mean, there are at least 10, if not 15, or even more schools from which. You can go and and get a job at, at MBB. I mean, especially if you're, um, you know, a good student and and can you know and you know from the get go that that's where you want to work. I mean, there are many people who go to, um, I gosh, any number of schools. You know, the Cornells, the Michigans, the Dukes, the the Dardens. I mean, a lot of these people are going off to work at McKinsey, Bain, and BCG. Um, just as there are, you know, even you know Chicago, Kellogg. Um, these are schools that are not on this person's list. Wharton, right? Uh, and so I was a little um, befuddled. In fact, you know arguably like less people are going into consulting from a place like Stanford, which is on their list than from a place like Wharton. Right. So, um, so just interesting. And I, yeah, I was a little confused by this kind of, um, yeah, really kind of focus in on just a couple of schools, given their numbers. And it's going to be hard to move the meter on the GPA. I know that their grad GPA was a bit better, but it doesn't sound like either degree was particularly quantitative. And that's what MBA admissions officers are often looking for too, for evidence of, aptitude there. So I think, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they can try and apply to these programs, but I think they're going to need a little bit uh, more on the test or at least take an HBS core or MBA math, or they got to take some steps. And I, you know, we don't know about the extracurriculars as well. And, and then there's also an elephant in the room, <laughs> not to, <laughs> and that is that they, they work for a Republican, a well-known Republican senator. And so do you think that's, is there any issue there? Like, you know, obviously politics is always a really tricky game to play, right? And and so do you think that's going to, would there be an admissions reader who's maybe a card-carrying Democrat who would let that somehow influence things or no, it's not, not a worry at all? You would hope no. Yeah. I, I don't, th- I, yeah. I honestly don't think it comes into play. I mean... There are obviously some Republican senators who I think are a bit more of a lightning rod than others, right? So, like, yeah. you know, if it's like you were saying earlier before we came on air, if they're working for Ted Cruz or something, maybe that's someone who's a bit more polarizing. Um, but then there are plenty of senators where, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like to think that the admissions readers don't don't bring that into it. And as long as this person's focusing on the work they're doing— and not necessarily the specific policy that they're, you know, they're, as long as they're not getting up on a soapbox here, I think it's fine. Yes. Right? I'm not, exactly. I don't have a problem with it. And in fact, you know, I, I don't think of business schools as being, you know, the most like liberal places, you know, there's kind of a mixed bag and it's, there's plenty of people who are conservative, plenty of people who are liberal. So I, I'm not as worried about it, but yeah, it is something that I just thought we should mention because it's one of those um, interesting topics that we talk about politics, religion, um, all that stuff. Right. So <laughs> very good. We'll, we'll keep it at that. But I just want to add one thing actually about our previous candidate, because yeah. it did occur to me 
that if they did decide that they could retake the GMAT and do that before the second round, they might split their apps between rounds one and round two mm-hmm. and, 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 and do it that way. Yeah, um, so anyway, I just want to throw that out there. If they're still listening, they probably <laughs> gave up listening since this is the longest episode ever on record. I know, so I know. We had a lot to get through. We should wrap things up, Graham. All right. So I appreciate you picking these out. Um, I appreciate everyone tuning in. Please remember to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen, and we will be back in one week's time with another episode of Wiretap. So Alex, I'll, I'll see you next week. Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.